Loving Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this morning hour. Where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? And Lord, as the hymn writer said, where could I have it better than to allow you to go through my life together, to be at my side, to guide me from whom I receive all the nutrients as a branch doth from the vine. Father in heaven, we pray for your presence with us. We thank thee for the joyful news that you have provided for us this morning. And Lord, we pray that this would redound to your glory in the life that Joshua will lead with your help. Be with us, be with those that are not here with us, especially we pray for Brother Dennis as he's once again ailing in the middle of Africa. Bless him and his family. Give them more courage and hope. And now we ask, be with us as your word is read and expounded upon. May not be the lips of clay that invent anything or come up with our own understanding but may it be your Holy Spirit that speaks your word and your truth to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I found it probably uh, an appropriate scripture for this morning which is contained in the book of Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. Perhaps we can just back up. Um, to verse 24 of chapter 4 as well. Verse 24 of chapter 4. Well, 23 because it gives more continuation. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. That is to Abraham. Now it was not written to his, for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed that is God's righteousness if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man, would, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more... Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all, that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. <clears throat> Nevertheless, death reigned, from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. 
For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they that receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the one free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace, might grace, reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I've read the entire chapter, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, even now, we avail ourselves of this access, the veil being ripped in two, and by faith we can now enter into thy very throne room, a privilege beyond our ability to even comprehend. Fathers, our faith needs strengthening. Lord, we want to be more like Abraham, who didn't stumble at the physical realities of his body, and, but believed your promises that he could not see. Father, as we look around us, the power of the evil one, we trust in your power. As we look inside of us, the power of corruption. We're so thankful that by faith we can die, be risen again, and we can align ourselves rather with the, with the obedient second Adam than the disobedient first, that we can experience life rather than death, justification rather than condemnation, and hope rather than despair. We're so thankful that this door is not yet closed. Though there be many that are hovering at its entrance, torn, not entering in, and we do not know the day at which the door will be shut, but we see the storm crowds and we recognize that it is not far off. And so we are very thankful that Josh Flores has heeded the call and has laid hold through faith on the gift and the grace that you have died to provide. We praise you for that. We rejoice with the very angels in heaven. Father, we want to avail ourselves of this access to bring before you our concerns for the many others who still hesitate. Lord, we pray that you be patient as you were for us. And we pray that they would not delay. Lord, call and draw them also by your love. We beg you. Lord, we want to pray in particular as our dear brother has asked for 
Teresa and John Scala. Well, we don't know how much more time Teresa even has. Father, we pray that they could understand, that their eyes would be opened, and they could see that righteousness is not by their effort, not measured by comparing with their fellow man, but by confessing their sin and trusting in your completed work on the cross. Lord, help them to humble themselves and to find grace. Father, we want to pray for the family of our dear sister Janice, who has gone to be in your presence. She's left behind a husband and three sons that don't know you yet. Lord, we pray that they would not want to be separated from their mother, much less from their Savior, and that they would seek you. Father, we pray for comfort for that family as they've lost a loving mother and wife. We pray for your presence. Lord, we trust that you know what is best, even though it is hard for us to understand when people need to leave much sooner than we expect and when they undergo pain and suffering. Oh Lord, we trust that you know all things and that all <clears throat> is for a redemptive purpose because we trust your loving Father heart. Lord, you know the work that our brother Dennis is doing in Africa. And Lord, we pray that you'd be merciful or that you would heed our prayers as you have in the past and restore him to health. Father, you know our needs here in the presence in this city. We're thankful for your protection from the virus. Lord, we pray that we would not be infected with a spirit of apathy and fear that we would not be divided and distant from one another. But Lord, that we could press in to your breast, to your hope. We would cling to you and we would not be distracted. Lord, that we would draw closer to one another, that we could demonstrate a community that is not divided, not whose flame is not put out, by the fear and concerns of this life because our hope, our anchor is beyond that veil. Oh, we pray that we could burn brightly as a witness in this dark time. Speak to us through your servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have already heard this morning sad news here in Canada, sad news in Africa, sad news you may have heard from other places. And it sort of aligns itself with what this chapter is saying, at least in the second half. In the second half of this chapter, or maybe not the half, a second portion, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a reminder of why we as mankind are in this predicament that we are in today. He reminds us that our first father, Adam, fell into sin. He reminds us that because of his fall into sin, all 
men, and I'm speaking generic humankind, have also this problem of sin, this predicament and condition of sin. Theologians call it depravity. It depends on what definition you give to it. Depravity is not in a human heart that every man will be the worst he can possibly be. But it signifies to us that our fallen heart, our fallen nature is the reason we see the things that are around about us. We feel them, we hear them, we are affected by them. What human depravity tells us in the flip side is there is a way that we can be as good as we should be with the agency of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. It was very interesting to see in the book of Genesis when it talked about how God created Adam, the first man, because that's what Adam means. That's why it's used here. If it was written in the Hebrew, you would see Adam in chapter 5. Man. Man is Adam. But it's very interesting in the book of Genesis when he talks about Adam and Eve together, you will see, and their name was Adam together. One name. Timothy says that Eve was deceived. And Eve had, if you will, a great part in what had happened as she was tempted by the devil, Satan himself, in the Garden of Eden. And that led to the death of man. It led to the death of the woman. And it led to eventual death of the human race. And we may say, well, what does that mean? When God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of this fruit, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that was the tree referenced to, you shall die. And we know that they didn't drop dead there and then. It took Adam 950 years, was it, before he died. But what it did say was they would die spiritually. And that's what Romans 5 is talking about. And if you keep on reading into the book of Romans chapter 8, it talks about all the consequences of this fallen nature, of the cursed earth, of all of creation is groaning because they're suffering. No matter if you are the richest man in the world, no matter in, if in, in the eyes of this world you are the most holy and pious uh, man in the world or woman, every single man and woman on this planet is suffering because of sin. It says, Wherefore, as by one man, verse 12, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, Romans 3 says, and come short of the glory of God. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The Bible says in another place, I think it's John, it says, for sin is the transgression of the law. And when there is no law, there's no transgression. If there's not a stop sign on this street here and you went through it without stopping, you wouldn't be guilty. But when they put the stop sign up and you go through that stop sign without stopping, you would be guilty if you were caught. Even if you weren't caught, you'd be guilty of violating the law. 
So here he says that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, it was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law, like I mentioned. Nevertheless, death reigned, death ruled. Reign here means it rules, it has dominion over us over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is of the figure of him that was to come. Now, I've always sort of understood this verse's meaning, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, that children do not really have a law until a certain age. They're not, they don't come to an age what we think is accountability, when they know what they're doing is wrong against God. I always thought of that was what it meant. Yeah, it might mean that, but something else came to me that what was the difference between Adam's sin and our sin? Adam was alive. Adam was spiritually alive. And his sin caused death. That's very significant. Adam was spiritually alive and his sin caused death. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, let's go to chapter 2 first. Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, I'm in the wrong book. That's why I couldn't find it. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 says, but we can go back to Ephesians 2 as well. Having their understanding, this is talking of the Gentiles walking in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart. He's speaking about Gentiles who did not obey the law of God as was given to Moses, but they had their own pagan worship, their own heathen practices. And he says they've been alienated from God. That is spiritual death. Being separated from God is spiritual death. And that says the same thing in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah 59 once says, the arm of the Lord is not shortened. His power. He's not, he's not powerless that he cannot save. But your sins have separated you from your God. Spiritual death is separation from God. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and whom among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Romans 1 opens up with the children of wrath as well. This is the gospel story. First the bad news, now the good news. First the bad news, then the good news. But we have to believe the bad news before we can accept the good news of the gospel. And the problem is, people don't see it themselves as bad news. It was very interesting. This past week, I was, I sort of follow a little bit uh, Jordan Peterson. He's not a Christian. But a sister in one of our churches says, hey, have you listened to Jordan Peterson once to me? So I started listening to him, because so, she thought he brought, brings a lot of good points because he seems to be um, a defender of traditional values. Even though he's a psychologist and he's in the University of Toronto, he's very articulate, he's a world-renowned uh, uh, psychologist and author. And what really grabbed my attention this past week was when he was being interviewed by an individual. 
And I, I hadn't seen him like this before. Very, in a, it was, looks like he was sitting in his own home. He wasn't under pressure from other, but he was sitting on his own home, presume or whatever it was. And he was asked about God and about the myth. The difference between the myth and objective reality. And he comes to a point where we're talking about morality and goodness. And he couldn't, he had to come to a point where he realized that maybe, you know, belief in God, I'm not just paraphrasing what I thought I heard, the values that the Word of God has in His, in his Word. Maybe when he's talking about myth, he's not talking about pagan narratives. He's talking about um, uh, narratives about philosophical issues. And he broke down. And it scared him. When he thinks of these things, it scares him. And I'm waiting for him to say, you know, maybe Jesus Christ is true. He knows he's true. But maybe Jesus Christ is God sent to this earth. He didn't say it. What I'm getting at is, is that every single human being on this earth, though we have been born into this flesh, into this blood, into this nature... We all have something inside us that is crying for answers that science cannot give. That this world cannot give. That the philosophers cannot give. And you're getting it more and more. So Adam died after he had sinned. But the difference between Adam and us is we are sinning and we are dead already. Every single person on this world that comes into this world after Adam and Eve are dead. Or bent on sin, that they love sin and they see pleasure in it and want it. And that is called a depraved nature. It's not depraved that you cannot see where you're going wrong. We can see many people have these moral values as Jordan Peterson does and others that have changed their views on atheism because they don't provide the answers. Man is corrupt, man is depraved, and man is separated from God. That's the bad news. The good news is, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the resurrection chapter, and the chorus has just come through my head when I listen to that, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. The first man brought death. The second man brought the resurrection from the dead. And that's the good news that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, For if by the offense of one man death reigned or ruled, much more they which receive abundant grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Christ. There are many people on this planet that are enjoying life. And you see that often you see, you know, advertisements, someone on some float in the middle of a pool near the Pacific Ocean or an island and they're having a little drink in their hands, say, ah, this is the life. Really? I could do that in my bathtub if I wanted to. I could sit in my bathtub with a pop or whatever it is and say, wow, this is the life. Is that the life? Is that what really life is supposed to bring us? 
Is that what we look for so we can have two weeks in a year to have vacation and we can spend an enormous amount of money to go out and say, this is the life? What about for the other 52 weeks? 50 weeks. Sorry, my mouth is bad. What about that? What about all the problems and the difficulties that we have, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you have it. My dear friend, outside of Jesus Christ, don't think for one minute that by not believing, you can go and do what you want, when you want, and how you want it. And your life is going to be full of all kinds of pleasure. Not going to happen. Guaranteed. And you can get celebrities who have money, looks, uh, opportunities, privileges galore, and their lives are absolutely total wrecks and miserable. I think I may have mentioned this before. Lee Iacocca, who basically invented the minivan for Chrysler and brought Chrysler out of the, the, the financial despair. At the end of life, he, and, and I don't know if you even believed in God, but he's at home with his grandchildren and seeing them play and enjoying them and say, perhaps this is, this is what life is all about, to enjoy your grandkids. That's it. If that's all we have, and that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if I in this life only have hope, I am the most miserable of all men. Even if you have a good, even if you look forward to things in this world and you have it, you are the most miserable of all men. So we have the Apostle Paul Describing the predicament of man, the predicament of man, and, and showing that through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, it can be reversed. We can be justified. We who have sinned against God, we who were once his enemies, it says here in um, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man one would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were powerless, we had no strength, we were sinful, and Christ died for us despite us. He didn't die for us when we, went, when we became good. He died way before we were born on this planet, knowing that we would be sinners. He died for those that crucified him. He died for his mother. He died for his brothers. He died for his disciples. He died for all mankind. When we were yet sinners, when we were yet powerless. For if we were enemies, we were enemies at one stage those that are believers now. If we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We'll come back to that, but let's go back to the good news now. The beginning of this chapter. When someone hears the gospel message and he convicts, the message convicts the heart through the Holy Spirit, and he believes the gospel message and believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins. The Bible says that faith justifies us. And that word justify means to declare not innocent that we are acquitted of the crime. Some people say justify means just as if we had never sinned. That's not true. God knows that we've sinned. We know that we have sinned. But what justification does is acquit us from that sin and doesn't 
make us pay or, or suffer for that sin, if you will, equally, eternally. It's a legal term. We know we've sinned, but we found we've been found acceptable and approved unto God because of what not we did, but what Christ did for us. And because of that, if we firmly believe that, if we firmly believe in our minds and in our heart that Christ died for our sins and accept it, that's called faith. Faith is receiving what Christ is offering to us. If we firmly believe that, the Bible says we will have peace. The peace is not as the world gives peace. It's not a, a peace from bad situations. It's not a peace from the trials of life. As a matter of fact, as we go down, you'll see we're going to have lots of trials in life. He doesn't promise us, you know, I love that hymn. We sang somebody, I don't know who, who, who uh, said it, but hymn number 90. Midlife's anguish, I am not complaining. Life has got anguish. Life has got problems. Life has got trials. Life has got difficulties. We heard this morning of the dear sister that passed away. It, God doesn't promise us eternal life on this earth. But what, what God does promise us is that when we turn to him, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have accept, access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of his glory. We can rejoice that we have a Savior that died on the cross for our sins. We can rejoice for the peace that he's given to us. I no longer feel condemned. I no longer feel like I'm on death row. Dead man walking, as they say. I feel... I can feel now because I believe. It's a difference. I explained to someone in this past week, if you're running to catch a train or a bus and you're trying to make it and you think that the bus is going to leave the, the stop before you get there and your heart's pounding and you're running and you're running and you feel this oh, fear of, of getting late to work or whatever it is and finally you get onto the bus and then all of a sudden this great peace comes upon you because you know you weren't late. You know you're on the bus. That's a very trivial example compared to the kingdom of God. When I was converting, I remember somebody that um, was converting with me, if you will. He was from Kitchener and I, we were both praying together, we were uh, uh, being together, visiting each other's homes and then one day he said he's received peace from God and now he's ready for baptism and I felt so bad where's my peace? how come he got it and I didn't get it? go back a couple of years before that when I was at camp and I was on the circle at uh, Webster Springs. The, I think it was the last year of Webster Springs, 74. And I felt guilty. I felt convicted. And I talked to Brother Bob Freund and Max Hertig on top, at the top of the, whatever they had there, the, the bleachers. And I was feeling so guilty. And they counseled with me. And then... I got convicted by the sermons. I got convicted by, by the, 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 the choirs. The song, Troublesome Times Are Here, Filling Men's Hearts With Fear. 
I got home and I said, God, give me six months, please. Give me Here I am in my flesh. God, give me six months. I can do it. Now give me peace. I was looking for looking for everywhere. I couldn't find it. Then I asked her, I talked to a brother, and he pointed to me, Romans chapter 8. After the great struggle in Romans chapter 7, where Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I want to do the good things I can't. I don't want to do the bad things I have to. O wretched man that I am. Then he says, I thank God through the Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who walk not after the flesh, but after... There is no condemnation. And I question myself... Do I have a desire to walk after the flesh? Do I desire sin? No, I don't. I would talk to people at, at work and, and witness to them. I thought I've got to be a better witness before I can prove to God that I'm ready to be accepted and baptized. And then he'll give me the peace. But when this verse came up to me, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus says, do you believe me when I say to you that if you believe that I have died for your sins upon the cross, my body was given to you as a sacrificial atonement, a propitiation between man and God. Do you believe me? I said, I do believe that. Then it occurred to me. Peace is not an emotion that comes first. Peace comes after the realization that you're on that bus, that you're on that train, that you do believe. There's no condemnation. We are no longer condemned. You know, the devil will condemn us. He's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation says we've been studying. He accuses you. You know, first he entices you. Just come, have some, have some of this good stuff. Why do you, nobody's watching, just do it. You're in your bedroom, just go onto the website and do whatever you want. Just do it. Come, come. And then when you do it, he condemns you. You couldn't, you could never be a Christian. You may as well give up. Look at you. The devil is there to condemn. God is there to convict. When God speaks to us through his word, through the law, that's what the Romans 7 is all about. The law will convict you. When, the law, when, when, sin, when sin revived, I died. And it wrought all manner of evil and concupiscence and lust in me. And he said, there's only one way out. God convicts the heart of sin and then he gives you a way to escape that sin. He gives you a way which is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the, the way and the truth and the life. And when we believe that with all our heart, God says, I justify you. I justify you. Not that you didn't ever sin, but that your sin has been forgiven because of the second Adam. You know, Isaiah 53, at the very end, verse 11, I think it says, and he says, and he shall be satisfied. God, for some reason, there's a big theological debate as to why Christ died on the cross. Why did he have to die and shed his blood? Why couldn't God just forgive people like that? There's, there's a reason and that's because God, when Jesus died in our place on the cross, he was satisfied. It was enough. And the question is, was that 
satisfaction and, 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 and wrath on the cross directed at Christ? Or was it directed at the sinner? Well, Christ was on the cross, but God was satisfied. And Christ died for our sin. That was just the beginning of our salvation. That we could be justified, declared not guilt or acquitted of the crime so we don't have to pay the punishment or the debt. And now that we don't have condemnation, when we fully believe that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, we no longer have condemnation. And we can go back to Romans 5 and say, we rejoice. We rejoice. And joy is different than happiness. That's what the world seeks after, happiness. Because these things keep my emotions high. All these happy events and circumstances in my life. The prodigal son was happy as long as he had money and friends. And when he lost his money and when he lost his friends, he wasn't happy anymore. Because he had no deep root of joy in him. Then he had to go back to the father, to his father's house. That's what happens when a sinner repents. He goes back to his father's house, the father in heaven. You will see in this chapter, there are three instances of joy. And it's way too long to do this session here, this sermon, but read it for yourself. Salvation is not just justification. We are not saved just to have joy. We are saved for a purpose. He says, verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, once we were reconciled, much more, we shall be saved by his life. We were reconciled by his death, but we will be saved by his life. Because after we die, Romans 6 says, we are buried with Christ, we we, we are resurrected with Christ and we walk in a newness of life with Christ. That's when the purpose of salvation comes into effect so that we can live for Christ. And as we have been apprehended by Christ, Paul says, so I also apprehend others. I tell the good news to others. I go out and I bring forth much fruit for the honor and glory of God. Where we failed before, we can now do as believers. Because it is not I that doeth it. It's Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says. It's Christ who lives in me. May the Lord, in his abundant grace and mercy, realize that there is no life. Make us realize that there is no life except in Christ. And without him, we can do nothing. And without him, we are without hope, Ephesians says. We are without God. We are without hope. I pray that many more would hear the word that we've heard this morning. And that you're here every Sunday, in and out, and realize that God has a far higher purpose for me than just to have fun and enjoy happy circumstances in this world. To him be the glory. Amen. This morning we've heard a message of hope. We've heard that death is a reality because of the sin of our first father, it's passed in all men, and that reality is inescapable. Heard of one sister who is passed on to a reward. Heard of brother who is hanging between life and death, and we plan, Lord willing, and 
Let me quarter after we'll gather together to pray for him in the multi-purpose room. We've also heard of Josh Flores, who's also died. Died to his own self-will, which was corrupt, and found the only way of escape to have that resurrection power, the new life that we heard of this morning, where we see that being, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, death is defeated. The sting of death has been removed. The fear of judgment, the shame of condemnation, all left on the cross, taken on by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know now can glory in tribulations, the inescapable tribulations that we will face, we no longer have to fear. We are no longer a slave to fear, as the song says. We are a child of God. We know that each of these tribulations have redemptive purposes because we can trust in the heart of the Father who is carrying us through those. And therefore, we have hope. So thankful for this demonstration this morning. We pray that many would take it to heart. As we sang together, it is not too hard to humble ourselves, to admit the truth, and to trust in what the Lord has done for us to follow him. May that be the hope, the present hope, the resurrection power that each one of us lays hold of. With that, we would conclude this morning's service.